Well, it was the kind of party that, frankly, we went to when Lisa was in grad school quite a bit. <laughs> well, there were expensive wines to sip and expensive crackers to nibble and even more expensive cheeses to put on the crackers to nibble. And people have a very not-so-subtle way of bragging in these things. Well, they say, well, have you read this book? And I've studied under so-and-so, and so-and-so says this and that. And um, at this party, there was a professor of comparative religion explaining how all religions were really one. And, uh, and he was explaining it in this way. He said, imagine that you take everyone uh, who's seeking after God and you were to blindfold them and put them in a room with an elephant. And each of them touches a part of the elephant and describes the part of the elephant they're touching. And so one person back at the leg grabs a hold of the elephant and feels it like this and says, well, it's, it's, the skin is really rough and it's kind of round and well, it seems really strong. It's, it must be the trunk of a tree. God is like a tree. And another is at the front of the elephant and is touching the, the nose of the elephant and says, well... Oh, it's it, it's also it, this this is rough and oh, but it's but it it's kind of it wrapped around my arm there and it's well it must be a snake God's like a snake and another person touched the tusks and said oh feel how feel how hard and unyielding this is God must be a hard God really difficult on on his people and so it goes on and the professor said and it's only by when we take the perspectives of everyone and push them together that we can really understand what God is like. And everyone sort of, oh, yes, that sounds very wise. And they were nodding their head. Well, at this party, there were some people serving the drinks and the, the crackers and things. And uh, one of them happened to be near and heard the professor's explanation. And he said, well, professor... I, I mean, I'm not nearly as smart as you and I'm not as well educated as you. I haven't read as many books, but I think I, I, think I spot a flaw in your analogy. The professor says, well, well, I'd like to hear this. Yes, what do you have to say? And he says, well, what's my favorite color? The professor says, well, how would I know that? Well, what's my sister's name? And the professor says, I, I really don't see what this has to do with anything. He says, well, just tell me this. Where did I park my car when I came here tonight? And the professor this is ridiculous. I don't see what any of this has to do with what I just said. And the servant said, well, we were all back in the kitchen talking before I came out here with this tray of food, and that guy over there serving that tray of food heard me talking. I bet he could answer every single one of those questions, not because he's especially smart, but just because I told him. The problem with your theory is it assumes the elephant never speaks. And in Jesus Christ, God has come and dwelt among us and has spoken. We're not, Christians don't claim to be right because we're smart. Christians claim that God has spoken and we're listening. Christ alone. Salvation through Christ alone. Knowledge of God through Christ alone. 
This is probably the most unpopular thing that Christians can preach in our day and age, but it's the pillar of the Reformation. In fact, it's the central pillar of the Reformation. Pastor Rod Rosenblatt, or Dr. Rod Rosenblatt, a theology professor emeritus from Concordia, Irvine, um, said this is that all the other solas of the Reformation, grace alone, faith alone, um, scripture alone, to the glory of God alone, all of these things are just ways of restating this central thesis of the Reformation, Christ alone. It's like they're all planets orbiting around the sun that is Christ alone. Now, it's not a popular thing to put out there in our multicultural environment where there are so many different perspectives and we all need to get along. And we do need to get along, by the way. We are called to coexist. But our different perspectives contradict one another. So they can't all be true. To become a Muslim, you have to affirm God has no sons. To become a Christian, you have to affirm God has one son. So they can't both be equally true. Now, before I go on with this part of the sermon, I want you to understand that I mean no disrespect to people of any other faith. In fact, I often feel like Christians can learn a great deal about dedication and heart and and sacrifice for the sake of um, what they believe from people of other faiths. When I see a Jewish person wearing a yarmulke, or a Sikh wearing a turban, or bearing the little symbol of the knife, which all male Sikhs are required to carry all the time, I think, they're willing to be identified and stand out uh, for their beliefs and be cut from the crowd. And I think that's something I could learn from. When I sat next to a Muslim at uh, luncheon, uh, back when I was at Penn State many years ago, and it was during the month of Ramadan, and he took the one piece of fruit he was going to eat between sunrise and sundown, broke it in half, and gave me half, because that's what Abraham would have done. I think to myself, I have something to learn from this guy about what sacrifice looks like, and fasting. Jesus, by the way, did say when you fast, not if you fast. But we don't hear a lot, don't hear a lot of Christians fasting anymore. This is not about people of other faiths. I have tremendous respect for people of other faiths. But if I won't disrespect them, I also will not disrespect my Lord and Savior who said, I am the way and the truth and the life. I won't try to make him to be like everyone else when he said he's not. (laughs) So it's not about people of faith. This is about our faiths and what our faiths actually teach. And the pillar of Christ alone, that central tenet of the Reformation, the first thing it means is that God speaks. Not through a proxy, not through a messenger, But he showed up in person. As St. Paul said, God was in Jesus reconciling the world to himself. Or as St. John says at the beginning of his gospel, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The eternal word of God, the second person of the Holy Trinity, shows up and speaks directly to us. God speaks. And we are privileged to listen. So that's the first thing 
The Bible is the Word of God because it contains that which communicates Christ, and Christ is the eternal Word of God. God, in Jesus Christ, speaks. And that would be enough. That would be enough. This is what religious seekers of all ages, back to the beginning, have desired, is a word from God. And in Jesus Christ, we have the word of God dwelling in our midst. Speaking, teaching, yes, but more importantly, speaking the word of the cross to us that our sins may be forgiven. And that that prophetic sign act, there, that's, that's what scholars call that when a, when a, a um, prophet does something to demonstrate this. Prophets do this all throughout the Old Testament. Jesus enacts the sacrifice for our sake and our eternal life. And what God says through the cross and through all His teachings through Jesus, God is focusing our attention right on Christ. Now, this is not anything new. Okay, in the Old Testament, what's the first commandment, right? I am the Lord your God, you shall have no other gods before me. Well, Jesus does the same thing when he shows up in the flesh. Our first parable tonight was from the book of Isaiah. And in that parable, the, um, the vineyard is the people of Israel, the whole gathered people of God, okay? Uh, and the vineyard, the, the tender of the vineyard, the master of the vineyard is God himself. And so this is from the first half of Isaiah's uh, book. This is anything before chapter 40 is judgment, just so you know, in Isaiah. It, gets, it starts to improve at chapter 40. It gets more hopeful. But God is, is judging the people because they're not bearing the fruits that show that they're his people. And so this is a parable that is well known by Jesus' time. This is a, a part of the prophet's writings. And Jesus takes that and twists it a little bit because he's meeting, he's speaking to the Pharisees and the chief, chief priests and he says to them, takes this well-known image of the vineyard and he says to them, you're the ones who are tending the vineyard. You're the spiritual leaders. If there's no fruit from the vineyard, whose fault is it? They get it. But more importantly than them getting it is he focuses the parable on the Son of the Master. The Son who is the heir, the one who is to inherit everything that God has to give and makes him the center point of, of the parable so that it is his death that finally, finally brings the judgment of God upon the tenants. focus upon Christ alone is what Christ himself has us do by his own words. And to know what he speaks secondarily is the word of the cross. Not do this and you will live, but rather I have done this so that you might live. That is the most amazing thing of all. That God in Jesus Christ has not called us to a new obedience at least not first and foremost, but rather to a new faith, to trust in what He has done for us when He condescended from heaven, left His throne, and became one of us for the sake of our sins. Sarah, I'm going to ask you to flick to the next thing. This is a video.
A traveler passed by. He told the man to meditate, to purify his mind, and when he reached Nirvana, all suffering would cease. The man did as he was told, but he remained in the hole. Another man appeared. He explained that the hole didn't exist, and neither did the man. It was all an illusion. The man who did not exist was still stuck in the hole that was not there. Another visitor arrived. He instructed the man to perform good deeds to improve his karma, and though he would still die in the hole, he might be reincarnated as something magnificent. Another man looked down from above. He taught the man to pray five times a day, facing the east, and to follow five important tenets. If he was faithful, one day, perhaps, the divine would set him free. The man prayed as best he could, but he was losing strength. And in the hole he remained. We've all fallen in the hole. Martin Luther said that there were fallen humanity, that's all of us, was like a drunk peasant always falling off one side of a horse or another. On the left, we can fall away from Christ alone and minimize Christ's uniqueness and effectively deny Him, even if we never formally deny Him. Effectively deny Him. On the right, we can get obsessed with our own faithfulness rather than focusing on Christ's faithfulness. This is what St. Paul did. This is why in his reading today, he talked about although he was a Pharisee from a long line, though he was one of the best trained, though he had the respect of all the religious people of his day, he counted it all as loss for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus his Lord. In fact, That's a very polite translation of what he says. He actually says it's excrement. It's stuff you flush away compared to the value of knowing Christ Jesus our Lord. We need to stay as focused on Jesus as St. Paul was. He is the son of the Master. He has come and spoken the Master's will to us and He has spoken authoritatively. 
And what He speaks to us is grace and mercy through His cross. So let us pray. Gracious God, we thank You for the opportunity to come together and receive Your Son Jesus through Your Holy Word brought down to us through the ages. Lord God, help us to keep ourselves focused on Him, not on our own efforts, that we may give glory to Him, that we may be focused upon Him, that we may live our lives from the grace that He has given us. We ask that we do, as we do this, You make us fruitful for Your kingdom purposes, that people may look upon us and see love and service to others. And we ask this through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.